0: Open Forward Self-Help School is a training program and community designed to help you manage your stress and build your confidence. Get compelling know-how to help you enjoy life again and discover scientifically proven coping strategies to improve your concentration and stop you feeling so overwhelmed. When you join, you'll get instant access to advanced training to help you stay psychologically healthy. Ask questions in regular Q&A coaching sessions, access expert guides including the Good Sleep Guide for Hardworking Parents and discuss important topics in the Members Only Forum. Go to www.openforwards.com That's www.openforwards.com And welcome to today's episode of Self Help Sat Nav, the show where we get into discussing important topics about your psychological health and well being, including relationships, work, parenting, and your overall general well being. Today, we're going to look at what you should do when you're feeling depressed. And so, the question I'm going to put to you is should you go and see your doctor if you're feeling depressed? And in short, the answer to this is, it depends. It depends on your situation. For example, are you already taking some kind of psychiatric medication? Or are you looking for help for the first time? So we're gonna get into these issues a bit more by referring back to an article that I wrote some time last year called, Do you need to take medication if you're feeling depressed? So really what we're looking at here is, do antidepressants work? And as doctors quite often will use their prescription pad to help you work through this problem, then it's an important thing to consider whether actually going to see your doctor is the most useful thing to do when you're feeling depressed. Okay. So I wish this was a simple question to answer, but what makes it difficult is the endless misinformation. And controversy that exists. But of course this is a very important question and I'm going to do my very best to answer that today. On the surface it does seem like a fairly straightforward question. Does medication help with depression? Well the pharmaceutical industry would have you believe that antidepressants do work and in fact many doctors believe that they help with depression. So much so that in 2012 the NHS issued 50 million prescriptions for antidepressant medication. And this costs the British taxpayer around $784,000 every day. So to put it simply, again, antidepressants can help a little bit. But not for the reasons that you might think. Not for the reasons... That you've been told and come to believe. In fact, antidepressants only help because of something called the placebo effect. And in reality, between 85 to 90% of people being prescribed antidepressants are not getting any clinically meaningful benefit from the drug itself. And that's a quote from Kirsch, who did a massive investigation into the effects of antidepressant medication. So what is this placebo effect that I'm talking about? A placebo is a pill, and it's a pill that's fake. Research trials use placebos all the time to test whether drugs actually make problems better or worse. So what happens is you get people into two groups, and one group will take the antidepressant and the other group will take the placebo, the sugar pill. And only those in the group won't know what they're taking. So um, people running the study, of course, know. But if you're in the group, you don't know to make it blind. And what Kirsch found in his studies, in his investigations, in looking at pharmacy trials and research themselves, was that antidepressants worked no better than sugar pills. And the only exception was for people that were very severely depressed. And only then did they conclude that it may have minor benefits. An actually more recent study that was published in the BMC Psychiatry titled Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitors Versus Placebo in People with Major Depression, found that There were small beneficial effects that were outweighed by many, many harmful effects. Risks of both serious and non-serious adverse events. So when Kirsch originally published his findings back in 2008, they were picked up by media across the globe and he was criticised a lot. As you can imagine, psychiatry and pharmacy uh, threw back at this in some major ways. But the criticisms just didn't stand it up. They tended to be more personal rather than challenging him on any scientific point. And his findings were even backed up by another leading psychiatrist, Professor Walter Brown, who said that we pretty much found the same thing as Kirsch. For mildly and moderately depressed patients, our results confirmed that antidepressants offer no advantage over placebos, alternative therapies, or even moderate exercise okay so the summary here from the research that we can trust says that antidepressants may help but very mildly and only for some people but and this is a big but there are serious side effects they don't deal with the problem and in the long term they cause harm and more recently you know, there's been talk of Paxil actually mediating or increasing suicidal rates for people. And Ciroxac was taken off the market for adolescents some years ago for the same reason. But SSRI medication is all very kind of similar in what it consists of and how it works. So, saying that these drugs are more dangerous than other SSRI drugs is actually just kind of splitting hairs, really. The Differences between them really just exist for commercial opportunity between the pharmacy companies because they're patenting what they're producing. So then, if these drugs don't work and they cause a lot of harm, why are we led to believe that they don't cause harm and that they do work? Well, as James Davis, Dr. James Davis, argues in his book Cracked Why Psychiatry is Doing More Harm Than Good there are two main reasons that I noted. The first is that psychiatry is dominated by a biomedical or disease model that suggests that emotional pain is a disease. And the second is that pharmaceutical companies have exploited the opportunity to make billions of pounds and dollars across the world. So let's look at this first reason this biomedical disease model of psychological suffering that mainstream psychiatry puts forward. And this model claims that the reasons people get depressed, anxious, addicted, have hallucinations or hear voices, self-harm or commit suicide is because there's a chemical imbalance in the brain that is not normal. But the trouble is that this, this belief isn't based actually on any scientific data. That's pretty shocking, I think. So how do psychiatrists tend to make these diagnoses? that help us understand a bit more about this question? Psychiatrists make a so-called diagnosis using a guidebook called DSM, or the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. And since its first edition in 1952, There have now been five revisions. The most recent was in 2013. And the number of possible things that you could have wrong with you has dramatically increased. And as these revisions have come about, as new so-called problem types or disorders or syndromes have been named or identified, this correlates with increases in prevalence of these problems as well, which then opens up the door to prescribing for problems much more. And the way most psychiatrists use this book is to match a person's reported experience with the list of diagnoses laid out in DSM. It's down to the psychiatrist to accurately diagnose. The trouble is that psychiatrists tend to give different diagnoses to the same person, at least a third of the time. So it's highly subjective and highly inconsistent. And that's been shown in studies going back to the 1970s. And the other important point is that unlike any other form of medicine, there are no biological markers to prove the existence of mental health problems. You can't do a blood test or a urine test to prove depression or anxiety exists. So this makes psychiatry unlike any other form of medicine. Every other form of medicine you can test. And you can identify biological markers. Psychiatry has no such thing. So there's no scientific underpinning to it. The DSM guidebook is more of a consensus document. Brought together just by opinions. Which is highly politically sensitive. Up until the mid-70s, DSM said that homosexuality was a form of a disorder. And the way that they took it out was that at a psychiatry meeting, they had a vote on it. They had a vote on it whether it should stay in or whether it should come out. And it just about got a vote to be taken out. And that was because they thought that psychiatry would suffer more if they continued to keep it in, that people would look less favourably on them, they would lose credibility. So their decisions are political, social, governed by self-interest, not scientific. Pharmaceutical companies also claim that antidepressants work because they rebalance neurotransmitter brain chemicals like serotonin and epinephrine. And this is how they say SSRI antidepressant medication alleviates depression. And again, there is no evidence that people who are suffering with depression have an imbalance in these neurotransmitters. And what's more, there's no guidelines for defining optimum balance. So what happened is that they produced these drugs, they tested them. They found that... uh, when you give people these drugs, it increases serotonin levels. And so then they claim, then, on the back of that, that people who are struggling with depression don't have enough serotonin. And so the National Institute of Mental Health in the US asked that question in the mid-80s. Is there proof that people who are depressed have a lack of serotonin? And... The answer was no, there was no evidence to support that. But since then, systematically, it's been treated as if that were true. So the sum of it is just that there's no evidence to prove that emotional pain is in any way, shape or form a medical problem. And there's no evidence that depression is a problem that requires medication as an intervention. So, I think this is really shocking news. I've been working in mental health for a long time, and I only discovered this news sometime last year that there was not evidence of a lack of serotonin for people that were struggling with depression. Which just blew this chemical imbalance theory out of the water for me. Depression as an illness or a disease that needs medication to treat it has fallen into our psyche. There are references to this everywhere in in film in television in books in in lots of news articles and that people write and in um and in stigma reduction campaigns as well. but when you buy into this view, when you buy into this view that there is a difference between people that can have a so-called mental illness and those that don't because of some genetic difference. You open yourself up to being abused. Abused by a drug that the evidence says will not help you. And will do you harm. Yes, it can numb you. Which can cut you off from pain. And that may be the way that you want to go. But if you expect it to fix your depression as if it were an illness, then you risk being disappointed heavily and harmed as well. Okay, let's look at that a bit more now, the context of the pharmaceutical industry. And this is the second reason that so many doctors believe medication works is that they are told so by the pharmaceutical industry. In fact, nearly all medical trials investigating the effects of antidepressant medication are funded by pharmacy companies. And these companies have a vested interest, of course, in showing that they work. Not only does this lead you to question their motives, but numerous pharmacy companies have been fined millions of dollars or pounds for concealing data that shows they don't work that well so they can't be trusted but the problem also rests with the authorities that approve medications to be sold that say that they're safe and helpful in america that's the fda the fucking the food and drug administration and in this country the the uk it's the mrha And they both require a drug company to show in just two clinical trials that their antidepressant is more effective than a placebo. Just two trials. And if this can be shown, no matter how many negative studies exist in addition alongside that, the drug will be approved for public use. So you could have a thousand studies showing that it was negative, but if you have just two to show that, it has some benefit, it will be approved for public use. And Davies also points out that the trial doesn't even have to show that the drug is clinically superior. It merely needs to show a statistical difference, which in reality can be small enough to make no actual difference to the person's life. So we've got a big problem here in terms of how we are protected. More is needed in terms of protecting us from the financial interests of pharmaceutical companies and psychiatry. And there are conflicts of interest here. You might think that one form of protection against this commercial interest of these pharmacy companies would be the psychiatric profession But as David shows us, the psychiatrists and GPs routinely receive financial incentives from pharmacy companies in order to sway their prescribing habits. And what's more is that there's no legal requirement for doctors to declare any additional earnings they receive from Big Pharma. Now, I, mean, I don't mean they don't have to declare them to the HMRC, of course they have to do that, but they don't have to declare them as conflicts of interest. So what that means is a lot of the time people don't know whether they, the drug that they are saying will help, whether they have had actually any financial gain from the company that makes that drug. So given the findings that antidepressants are no better than a sugar pill, and that Big Pharma have shown dishonesty in effectiveness studies, it is very wise to be suspicious of these claims. Big Pharma is one of the richest group of companies in the world, alongside finance, insurance, and big corporate healthcare companies. And the profits they generate go largely to the few at the top who run those companies, the majority shareholders, who take billions. Or trillions of pounds and dollars and one of the problems with this is that the rich keep getting richer and the very rich are becoming fewer in number recent uh, investigations by Oxfam into uh, income inequalities across the world show that just in 2010 the richest 1% were made up of a few hundred people. And now, in 2015, so two years ago, that that number has reduced to just 62 people. So the amount of wealth that the few at the top have is growing. And this is a big problem, because... It's bad for society. It's very bad for society. Because without the protections in place to keep you and me safe, the gap between the poor and the rich gets wider. Now, GDP has been growing over the last 50 years as well. So the very poor are getting less poor. But the rate at which they're getting richer is much smaller than how the rich are getting richer. So the divide as it stands and as it's continued to go actually increases. And when we look at countries that have greater divides between the rich and the poor, they have bigger social problems. They have bigger health inequalities. So an example, the country that has the biggest inequality between the rich and the poor is the USA. And the UK is kind of third or fourth up there as well. The country at the opposite end of that spectrum that has very little differential in income is Japan. And as a result, they have very little differential problem in in terms of health. So as you can see, not protecting ourselves, allowing big pharma to continue to get richer only leads to bigger health inequalities. So the position of this is clear, isn't it? What I'm saying is beware. And this is somewhat different from the position I used to take when asked the question by clients who came to see me in the therapy room. I used to think that it was important to say something like this. I'm not an expert in that area, and so it's best to discuss medication with your GP. Like, that's an appropriately neutral position to take. I'm not trained as a medic. That's not my competence or set of skills. So how can I advise somebody competently, ethically? But, my position has changed. After learning much more about the lack of proven scientific basis in this disease model, and the dubious behaviours of pharmaceuticals, I now feel duty-bound to present this evidence to people. You may think that this isn't neutral, me doing this, but I'd argue that by not doing so I'm allowing a person to continue under the impression that depression is a mental illness with proven biological markers for which antidepressant medication offers a cure. The information presented by the mainstream just isn't accurate And it's harmful so I feel like I'm providing a better service by providing this information to people that come into the room I mean even the NHS UK website states that most people benefit from taking antidepressants to some degree when as I've said the data isn't just there isn't there to back that up okay So what are the alternatives? What can you do instead if you're not going to go and see your doctor, if you're not going to go and see your GP? If you're struggling with low mood and debilitating anxiety, then the first thing to do is to check in with how well you're taking care of yourself. For example, are you eating well every day? Are you getting some exercise and staying active? Are you talking to people, connecting with them, letting others know you're struggling? Are you listening to your body and responding to what it needs if somebody you need rest or water, or just some gentle movement? These basic ways of taking care of yourself often get abandoned when you're suffering, But it doesn't work to avoid self-care. And it doesn't work to avoid people when it feels difficult to do so. So what I'm here is doing here is turning your attention to the things that you're doing or not doing. And I do appreciate that when you're feeling really low, in crisis, or feeling like you just cannot cope, it's hard to do stuff that will make it better. Start to kind of help you to feel better. The motivation's not so that much. And the urge to just have it taken away with a drug can be quite strong, it's quite seductive. But hopefully from this episode you're starting to see that that is unlikely to work for you as a solution as well. So once you've asked these questions and, and tried to kind of move these things and Do more of what helps and less of what doesn't help. The next step is to turn your attention to what's happening in your life. Because the way that you feel is heavily influenced by your context. So are there particular stresses or strains that you're having to deal with? Is there a problem in your relationship that's affecting you? Have you lost someone or something important? Are you really concerned for your children's health or well-being? Are you fighting to forget painful memories? When you start to look at what's happening in your life, you can start to understand you have valid reasons for why you feel like you do. Because context is everything. And finally, you may want to seek out some professional intervention from a suitably qualified or accredited counsellor or psychologist therapist or psychologist whilst therapy is not the perfect solution for everyone not everyone benefits from therapy many many people do okay and the last question I think is going to be helpful to address here is what to do if you're already taking antidepressants and I appreciate that you may wish to stop taking them after hearing this episode I've said a lot of damning, negative, critical things about antidepressant medication. But if you are taking it, and you've been taking it for some time, my advice is to be cautious about stopping that. To take it slow. Because you will likely experience side effects if you suddenly stop taking them. Now I have met many people who haven't experienced side effects. They stopped taking them and it was straightforward but there are many many people who do experience quite severe side effects and you just don't know whether you're going to be one of those people or not the type of side effects I'm talking about are high anxiety panic feeling dizziness, wobbly on your feet unable to concentrate, headaches, feeling nauseous and of course this is very frightening and despairing and can feel hopeless so if you decide you want to come off then it is sensible to, to, discuss that with your prescriber and to work out a reduction plan. And this will probably involve gradually reducing your dose over several weeks or months. That all depends on how long you've been taking it. Another thing to consider is, will you need any other support when you come off them? Antidepressants have been shown to have a numbing effect. So when you stop taking them, you may start to experience emotions that the antidepressant has cut you off from during the time you've been taking it. So it's kind of, it's kind of more, it's more accurate to call an antidepressant not an antidepressant but to call it a numbing medication because that's really what it is that it does. It would be wise to consider whether you are ready to do this. Feelings aren't dangerous but they can be very painful. And you may need to ensure you're taking care of yourself enough. And you have a support network around you that you can turn to, rely on. And in addition, if you feel you'd benefit from exploring events from your past, then talking to a counsellor is also likely to be a useful form of support. Okay. So I want to mention some other useful forms of support that I've come across here and in particular a very useful podcast called Let's Talk Withdrawal run by James Moore and he discusses so-called antidepressants and withdrawal. He talks to people who are either struggling to come off them or who have successfully done so and you can get some guidance and advice on how it is that they've done that. And he also talks to writers, professionals, that uh, have studied and written on this subject, uh, particularly as well. Um, so, if you're looking for guidance, why not? Why not? Why not just go to your GP? Well, the experiences that people were talking about on this podcast is that, that GPs often withdraw people too quickly, and this is having adverse effects. So. Yes, you can go to your GP for this advice, and you probably should, but that you also want to go a bit prepared, which is that you want it's going to be useful for you to come off as slowly as possible. Um, And uh, so, kind of getting some information here about um, how just how quick is uh, going to be useful, this podcast can really help you out. And also there's little information around on reducing. Pharmacy companies don't produce guidance on that. Because they have no interest in helping you to make them less money. Sad and frustrating, but true. In fact, James has put together a petition, which I'll include in the show notes, called Make Pharmacy Firms Help Users Who Want to Stop Taking anxiety and depression drugs it's a very important petition it's about helping people protecting people who are taking these drugs and want to come off them it's also about holding pharmacy companies to account okay and there are various other sources and books that you can read on there i mean i want to give thanks to dr james davies for his book Um, cracked why psychiatry is doing more harm than good it's a very well written book um, heavily researched um, so if you want to read more on this subject then um, he's going to be a good person to turn to and um, I also want to thank Dr Nick Hooper whose own writings and blog posts have inspired my own exploration of the medicalization of human suffering more recently And if you're looking for some free training to help you get your life back on track, then you can go to openforwards.com. Our team of specially trained therapists have been listening to people for many years about what causes them pain. Some might say that this is a difficult job, but we do it because we care and we want to help you enjoy life as much as possible. Our training and our experience puts us in a unique position where we have the opportunity to guide you in the areas where you're struggling. Whether you have issues at work, in your relationships, or just getting through the day, you'll get access to the useful tools and techniques that can make a difference. We pay close attention to the science, so you don't waste time listening to well-meaning pop psychology. By bringing together the research, the theory, the evidence and our lived experiences, we hope you'll discover many turnkey solutions to the problems of human suffering. Just go to www.openforwards.com forward slash free membership. That's it for today's episode and I'll see you on the 5th of next month. Take care. Bye now.